Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. I think people are afraid to have the conversations because they're like, well, we've done it this way. Let's keep doing it this way. Or why, why change if it's working? Well, sometimes the change is necessary. Welcome to Needlestack. I'm Matt Ashburn, your host. And I'm Jeff Phillips, co-host of Needlestack. Matt, today we're discussing OSINT hot topics, and we're joined by two of our favorite opinionated researchers to take on the topics. Abby and Adam, welcome to the show. Let's have you each introduce yourselves for our listeners. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam Hinkey. I'm OSINT trainer here at Authenticate. I have a very deep, in-depth background with OSINT training, being a formerly trained military intelligence analyst and working at several small companies doing cyber threat research and uh, open source intelligence. Thanks for joining, Adam. Hi, I'm Abby. Uh, I'm currently the U.S. Tradecraft Lead for Fivecast, and uh, my background is as an open source intelligence specialist and analyst. Uh, that's great. Thank you both for being here. Um, before we get started, though, Abby, for those who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about what Fivecast is and what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So Fivecast is a technology company, and we're an open source intelligence solutions provider. And essentially what that means is we develop technical solutions to enable analysts work uh, to collect and assess publicly available information, typically available online. Well, appreciate that. And again, appreciate you joining the show today. Um, to, to kick us off, Adam and Abby, let's you know talk about one of the fascinating things to me um, about OSINT is that even the definition sometimes is up for debate. So maybe we start there, start with what is the definition of OSINT in terms of um, what are each of your views in terms of what it does include and what it does not include? Adam, maybe we start with you. I think OSINT encompasses a lot more today than what we thought it would years ago. Um, everybody's including cyber threat stuff and, and other things regarding that nature, along with finding publicly available information on anyone. I think we've expanded on it so much, we may need to slow down and start thinking what isn't OSINT and, and, and tailor stuff to that. Uh, you know, Abby, I don't know your opinion. Yeah, I think um, probably when we both got into this space, open source intelligence was just really broadly defined as processing publicly available information. And as a lot of this information has moved online and that's where the majority of the population is accessing it. I think this has become conflated with digital intelligence, which is really just growing in meaning. And I, I think something we were discussing, Adam and I were discussing earlier, is that 
it started to encroach on other types of intelligence and on other types of data. So uh, for example, I think if you're working as an OSINT analyst, then you've probably used commercially available data, not even data that's classified as publicly available information. And depending on the, you know, what type of access or authorities that you have, you might even, even be operating online a little bit differently. So maybe you're analyzing certain types of imagery, so doing imminent, you might be communicating with individuals online and curating sources online. So you might be doing types of human uh, with online data. And all of these have really weirdly fallen under still the umbrella of OSINT, even though classically, I think you're doing a lot of other techniques that fall into really other types of intelligence. Uh, at least even like 10 years ago, they would have been called other types of intelligence. And you mentioned a couple of ints there. And for, for the folks in the audience, obviously, yeah. those, are, those are abbreviations, right, uh, of different terms. You know, human, for example, human intelligence, the tradecraft and uh, the art of tricking other people, convincing them to uh, defy their, their ethics and everything and, and spy for you. Uh, but there's a bunch of other ints that are out there as well. And within OSINT, open source intelligence, uh, one of those I want to draw attention to is SOCMINT, social media intelligence and to me, it's a bit annoying that we keep coming up with all these different terms for these things. But um, Abby, I think you may be a good person to speak about this. But can you talk about the efforts maybe to ban some of the nefarious actors from flat, uh, from platforms that are out there um, and how SOCMINT plays a role for the researcher, but also how it affects you as a, as a practitioner? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. SOCMINT, for those who don't know what that is, it's uh, sort of the art of leveraging social media data or information that's been posted, published, or is available on social media as part of your intelligence cycle. And a lot of that has to do with common, you know, mainstream social media platforms that I'm sure everybody's really familiar with. And there's been a lot of pressure, and people have probably seen it in the news, for these social media platforms to take responsibility for what's being posted on these sites and to take it down, to remove it, whether it's because it doesn't align with uh, what the type of content that they want on there or it's criminal behavior. So something truly nefarious. And I think this is maybe a little bit of a hot take, kind of the point of this conversation, but I know it's thrown around with a lot of other OSINT analysts is sort of the shaking of our fists when we find out that something's been banned or removed from a social media platform because it makes it that much more difficult for us to do our jobs when it's out there and it's available and accessible to somebody who's doing SOCMINT or open source intelligence. Uh, if the barrier to entry, the barrier to access is really low, that's great. I've solved a problem with minimal effort. That's what I want. And especially if that means I'm stopping bad actors uh, in in the course of that, I think when I talk about this, I refer to kind of the golden days of like early 20 teens where you could find out ISIS training camps like through Twitter, they would just geotag where they were. It's like, great, thanks, just put that into your report. And now it's uh, just as things have been checkpointed and banned, it's pushed in and really um, caused a lot of these nefarious actors to manipulate their communication habits. So they move into much less accessible spaces, sometimes still online, um, but it makes it that much more difficult for us to do our jobs. So my perspective is kind of like, leave it up at least long enough for me to see it and get it and report it. And, and then you can take it down after that. But 
Um, that's definitely my perspective on it is sometimes I, I worry with the banning and, and the removal of certain bits of content, we're losing out on really critical insights on some really awful people. And if they're willing to put it out there for us to see, why not report on it and take action on it? So I appreciate that, that insight onto the, onto the social media side. Um, you know, I know you, you both have lots of experience in terms of being OSINT trainers. Adam, in fact, um, you recently wrote a blog that had an interesting take on it um, uh, in terms of people are always asking for an OSINT methodology and that you don't recommend one. Um, why don't you first tell us, did you get any feedback on that? And then uh, tell us, what did you, what did you mean by, by that blog? So the point of that blog was to get everyone away from developing or standardizing a step-by-step -step way to do an investigation or do intelligence and intelligence collection because you take the creativity out of it. Um, recently, I've talked to someone who had a comment about it and I've gotten some, some good feedback about it and some some, some of what I was expecting and the guy I talked to basically said, like, don't really call it a, a you know, um, a methodology, but like come up with something where, okay, you're trying to find an email address. What sources do you have available how okay then you have then you go into okay what's your end game so coming up with it, it you know step one is what, you, what you're trying to find step two is what sources you have available and what your step three is the end state that you're looking for and then let them develop their own tactics techniques and procedures on how to do that um that actually makes more sense i'm not saying that that's not the way to go what i'm saying is we don't need a step-by-step -step of when you have an email address, the first thing you do is this, then you do this, then you do this, because you, again, you, you stifle creativity. And if that becomes accepted as the norm, you know, around the community, if someone hits a roadblock, they're going to stop. If they can't do step four, they're just going to stop their analysis and stop their stuff, you know, their collection and go from there. How about you, Abby? What, what are your thoughts on, on methodologies and, and OSINT? Yeah, I, I think um, I definitely agree with Adam in the sense that um, constraining yourself to a methodology is something that comes with a lot of risks, and, but it is a super common request that you get when you're training not only on social media solutions or open source solutions, but just in general, when you're trying to capacity build analysts and train them how to go about this, uh, a lot of them are like, okay, well, what's step one? What site do I navigate to? How do I enter in this search? You know, How do I analyze these results they wanna know and break it down into step one, two, three, four. And uh, I think Adam's right, we don't want somebody to get stuck on step three because they're not seeing the data that they would expect because the reality is depending on what we what use case you're working on what environment you're working in what topic what subject matter you're going to get variable highly variable data uh in online and with different tools so the analyst has to be a little bit creative and a little bit flexible and willing to chase a bunch of different avenues to find what the next step is instead of kind of always navigating to the next step. Um, so I find myself agreeing with Adam and I know this is a hot takes podcast. So I feel like I want to highlight some alternate viewpoints because sure. I just, I discussed this with um, some of my coworkers as well, this kind of question of framework methodology. And the way we kind of thought about it is 
Um, well, it depends kind of what background you're coming from. If you're an open source specialist, you know all these tools available to you. You've done this a hundred times, being flexible, being creative, you're used to operating in that environment. But maybe as an all source analyst or somebody who's used to dealing with several different streams of data and reporting, if you don't find your answer on step three with data source one, you're gonna pivot. And they're just working with a bunch more tools at their disposal. So they need that kind of step-by-step -step for each different resource tool that they have. Um, so maybe they just have a totally different perspective on it. Uh, and also, I've been an, an open source analyst in the private sector, but I've supported a lot of public sector workers. And I'll be like, just be creative with it. Just follow it where it goes. And they're like, Abby, I have a deadline in two hours. Like, I can't just be creative. Like, I can't just sit here with the problem and let it wash over me. Like, I need to get stuff done. So I think I definitely understand the re request to really clearly outline and itemize what I think uh, the person Adam, who was commenting on your blog was saying, which is what are your inputs? What are your outputs? And what are the tools in between? No matter what they need, I just need to know what's available and where the inputs come in and where they go out so that I can quickly pivot in between them. And I think that that totally makes sense to me as well, but would love to encourage creativity and time-taking when the analyst has that at their disposal. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things you mentioned there was flexibility, and I love I love the fact that you mentioned that. Right, uh, that's something that, that that flexibility, able to pivot to, to different things, but also uh, a natural curiosity about things. I think is also very important. Along those lines, though, I'd, I'd like to ask uh, probably each of you, you know, Adam and Abby, for your thoughts about the organization of a team. Uh, in your experience, does it make sense to have a dedicated OSINT collector, someone who's there purely just gathering information and then passing it on to an analyst, let's say like an all source analyst or someone to actually analyze it and turn it into intelligence? Or does it make more sense typically to have an all source analyst, somebody who's really, uh, really up to speed on critical thinking, uh, key analysis techniques, um, analysis of competing hypotheses and other analytic techniques uh, to, to sort of play that analytic role, but then do collection on their own uh, as an added duty? Uh, any thoughts on that? I guess I'll go first. I, I, I agree. I think we need to separate into subsets. You need to have OSINT practitioners. You need to have OSINT collectors and potentially an OSINT analyst doing the job of OSINT collection. You can even further that down into you've got a cyber collector and a cyber analyst. Um, we have it. They have it in you know the, the, the government and the military side where you've got imagery analysts, you've got SIGINT analysts, you've got all these other analysts whose only job is to do one specific set. Um, I could see where if you have an all-source person who's had that experience in the all-source world to be the analyst, to do the critical thinking and have those, that background, but it may not be a bad idea to have both an OSINT analyst and, a, and an OSINT collector per se, so that that's their main focus. They're not worried about all the other little ints that need to come up, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that it does. I think it's good to have the open source experience perhaps as an all-source analyst, but um... It's also a bit specialized, uh, open sources, and the collection of it, and being able to follow all those trails to wherever they might lead. Uh, Abby, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is something that I have a lot of strong feelings on. I, I think that there should be dedicated OSINT collectors for teams, like, as it's possible, because, you know, as we are sort of mentioning in the training, that, the training framework that we were just discussing, 
when somebody's given the ability and the time to identify all the different ways that they can come to an answer or interpret data or access data, there's going to be a lot more tools in their toolkit because they've been allowed to specialize and really dig deep into all the different possible data that sits in uh, publicly available information, what that might uh, provide or contribute to whatever their reporting requirements are. I think if you give somebody that dedicated space, you're going to have, have clear dividends for your team or, uh, or whoever's working a certain mission set. And I think, um, a lot of times there's this preference of an OSINT analyst where they're kind of asked to just research a topic, see what's out there publicly available from like a news media perspective, but it's not necessarily somebody sitting there and curating access and finding all of the different, you know, pockets of information from a, a source perspective that are out in, um, in publicly available information. And I think it's almost like a, a, my, a framing of how they're going about that data collection. I think instead of just being responsible for like doing a quick query and then integrating it with the rest of the data, they should be sitting in the data curating sources and dealing with uh, their work almost as if they were like a, a human intelligence uh, collector. They're sitting there and trying to identify the richest sources of information and how to interpret it put confidence scores on it and, and really go all the way in. But if you don't give somebody the time and space to do that, A, you're relying on much more expensive means of intelligence typically, like you're gonna be going to other intelligence sources that take a lot more time, money and resources to leverage and incorporate into your intelligence workflow. Uh, but really you're missing out on really easily accessible information that people are already seeing and reacting to possibly. So it, it really has impact on whatever it is you might be investigating or interpreting. So I feel really strongly that there should be a collector. Um, I do want to bring up, I raised this question as well with some of my coworkers and their response was, that's already being done. This isn't even a debate. There's already people being integrated and, and doing this. They're like, what you really need to be debating is, you know, whether everyone should be getting OSINT training or how do you overcome resource constraints that are keeping you from having a dedicated OSINT analyst on your team? And I thought that was really good feedback as well, because we're sitting here talking about what to label somebody. And sometimes it's just too expensive to have a dedicated person in your unit doing just that job. You kind of have to do it all. Um, or alternatively, um, you have this whole team, you already have an OSINT collector, but then the rest of your team who is also feeding into your reports is pretty ignorant or unaware of what you're capable of finding through publicly available information. So I think that's also a key point for maybe it should be uh, something where you put everybody through a basic awareness training on what you can and cannot find through publicly available information so that you're asking the right questions when you're sending an RFI to your OSINT collector. So uh, a little bit of an opposite perspective of everybody should get training at a minimum, but I thought that was interesting. They just through more questions my way instead of kind of feeding into the debate. But yeah. Yeah. I, well, I like that take. Yeah. I do too. And there's, I mean, there is a lot of trade craft um, in, in doing collection, um, but also to your point, the ability and, and knowledge of, um, of where else to go and get information, right? This is, 
I mean, th this is not just Googling something, right? That Jeff is not a practitioner. I can do that. I do that on a daily basis, but that's, that's not what OSIN is and people that are trained in this. Um, it's amazing to me sometimes, you know, what Adam, Matt, from interacting with them can find and uh, out there. So I guess I can go with at minimum, everyone should be trained on it. Um, also, if you're not going to have the, the dedicated analyst, but so let's go, let's go to another one. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty interesting talk and everyone, everyone's talking about seemingly in every area of tech about automation and AI right now. Um, and in the world of OSINT, we do talk about that there's just tons and tons and tons of publicly available information. And I've even seen some um, higher ups within the government side say there's so much information, you know, OSINT analysts can't even dig through it all. So what we need to do is we just need to automate everything. This should all be automated. Um, so what's your take on automation and AI from an OSINT perspective? How about we switch it up? Abby, you start this time. Yeah, let's start with Abby. Abby, I wanted to jump right in because, you know, a lot of what Fivecast does is, you know, we're developing AI-enabled analytics to help analysts interpret and comb through data. So uh, definitely have a, a perspective on this because I've seen analysts working manually without any sort of automation. And then I've seen analysts working not only with our solutions, but a lot of other automated capabilities. And really, I think the focus when it comes to integrating any type of automation or AI is it should be with the end goal of hyper enabling the analyst. We don't ever want to replace the analyst with what we're implementing, what toolkits we're putting out there, because you need analysts. You need somebody who the whole reason they were hired is because of their judgment making capabilities, their ability to assess and interpret data and make judgment calls on why it matters. Why are we looking at this? What impacts does this have for my mission set or my key intelligence questions? That's why you hire them. So we don't want to ever put automation or AI in a place of making those judgments for an analyst. Instead, we want to leverage them to take away all the monotonous, tedious work that typically encompasses collection and analysis, which is how do you access that data? How do you collect that data? How do you visualize it in a way that allows you to make those judgment calls so that your brain, your time is not completely occupied with how do I see the data that I need to make this conclusion? Instead, you're just focused on here's the data. I can start making my interpretation. So uh, in my mind, that's absolutely the role that automation and, and AI enabled analytics and and AI in general should be incorporated is they should sit there as a tool for an analyst to make their job easier so that they can kind of overcome the masses of data, but ultimately they shouldn't replace the analyst. And on that note, I, again, I would agree. I, I, I think in the, from where I came from as a cyber threat analyst in the SOC, you could automate a lot of their processes, right? You could automate, Hey, a computer's got to be re-imaged. Cool. Automate the process, right? The analysis still needs to be done with regards to what caused that computer to need to be re-imaged, but that process can be automated. It's it's having done collection as a you know as an analyst in the military where I had tons of data to sift through and I didn't know what the answer was what I was looking for years ago. Now after doing it today, there's so many ways to get the, the information and so many ways to have that information called out for you. Cool, great, I love it. I love that AI. I love that automation, but. You still need that analyst there who has an overall arch, overarching understanding of what's going on to provide that analyst, the analysis needed, right? 
we could have AI do the analysis, but is it going to be biased? And yes, some analysis is going to be biased based upon my experience or Abby's experience, but we've also been told to remove that bias and think outside the box and, and get rid of the biases that we come up with, whether conscious or unconscious. You can't really do that with AI because it's code written. So whoever wrote the code is maybe inputted some bias into there, whether they're going to pull from this source or that source. Um, but I, 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 and again, I, I sometimes cringe when people talk about automation, but now when I look back on it, it's great because we need it to help sift yeah. through the data. And I think collection still is a key skill set, right? Even if you, it, uh, there's some sort of automation that's doing that initial collection. And so you're getting to put your brain power and as you guys mentioned, into being creative and analyzing, um, that's probably going to lead you down a path or a pivot point that you didn't get that you're going to then have to go out and investigate further because of what you're taking away. Right. So it's, you're still going to need those, those skills and tools to go out and, uh, and collect and continue your analysis and, uh, until you deliver whatever whatever you need to deliver to who you need to deliver it to. Yeah, that's right. Sense. And I think, you know, the, the point to drive home here from, I, I think, both Abby and Adam is that uh, let's use machines for what machines are good at, uh, for things that are very tedious and repetitive, uh, things that can be scheduled, you know, go collect some things perhaps. But when it comes to using humans, let's use the humans for what they're good at as well, which is typically using your brain, doing the analysis, doing the critical thinking. Uh, and as, an, as Adam pointed out, removing bias, uh, looking for bias, and uh, looking for other hypotheses that may be out there as well. So uh, really, really good stuff. I was wondering if I could shift a little bit from, uh, I guess, the analysis back to collection if we could. Um, and I'd like to just get a, a quick take from Abby and Adam both, if we could, about the setups that you guys use to go do collection, as, as an example. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts about sort of the uh, do-it-yourself setups that may be out there. Um, what do you use? What do you recommend that people use? Uh, what do you find uh, works best for, for you and your work? Uh, and what are some of the pitfalls? I think that's a good question. And, and I feel like it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. I feel not to like answer your question with another question, but I feel like if you're building up an OSINT program or you yourselves have been tasked with um, setting up an OSINT capability and you are that OSINT collector analyst, I feel like you have to kind of itemize like what your capabilities and skill set are and then where your gaps are technically and but also operationally. So once you kind of know like what am I being asked to do, what am I capable of as a person and what do I need technology to enable me to do and what do I need maybe some operational assistance with doing, that's going to help you pick the right solutions for yourselves. And uh, I've seen people do this and we were kind of having a laugh about this earlier where you've seen people who have done this like hardcore, the manual way. They have everything done in the most manual process possible. And that works really well for them. And based on their reporting requirements and whatever it is they're tasked to do, that situation works really well. Uh, but then you have people who uh, they really rely on technology and a lot of solutions to optimize their work because their reporting requirements are a lot more frequent and they have a lot more data that they need to get to. So it really just depends on what your requirements are as a team. Uh, and But I would say at some point, um, and I wrote up a, a bunch of categories on this uh, in a blog I wrote ages ago on key technical elements of an OSINT program. And I think the first one is actually where you all fall in. You, If you're going to be working online, secure yourself. 
whatever that means to you, whatever your touch points are to the internet or via your device outwards, you need to protect that and then secure kind of the your methodology, if you will. So the actual techniques and practices and then optimize that as best as you can. Automate the things that are tedious so that you're able to keep up with your demands. I think like overall, that's what I would say is secure yourself secure your methodology and then optimize everything that you can feasibly optimize. I, I would say those are a generic statement on what I would tell people working in this space. And I, I and again, I hate to agree, but I do because it's one of those things <laughs> where it's hard when you try and set up your own system, even if it's by yourself and you, because you work for a small company or a larger company that may have the funds, money always is a key aspect of this too. And it costs a lot of money to set this stuff up. Uh, I've done the research. I've looked into it when I worked in my last job in my last company. We're talking forty, fifty thousand dollars. Not to mention that I've got to hire someone to manage the stuff if I don't know what I'm doing. I have some knowledge on how to manage systems and, and do you know images and wipe computers when necessary because we may have gotten a virus or whatever. But if you if your team doesn't have that technical expertise, you could be at a pitfall when you start going and using a standalone machine that may have a virus on it that you don't know about. You accidentally collect a thumb connect a thumb drive to it and then you take that thumb drive and put it into your work computer now you've infected your whole network like the, the possibilities are endless there so yeah it's it, you've got to look at as, as abby said at what you're trying to accomplish what your methods are and what your means are and what you what your funds are available to to maybe do that as well i could do it at home but do i have the money to set up my own server system here at the house probably but do i want to not really. I'm, I don't want to set up my own server farm. I know people who have, but that's a lot of time and effort I've got to put into it on the back end where I could just find something that maybe is a push button solution that works and keeps me protected, as Abby said. Yeah, I think those are those are great points. Well, as we wrap up here, uh, any final thoughts on OSINT or any other hot topics before we wrap up? I guess maybe my takeaway from this is shockingly, we agreed on almost everything, but I promise you out there, there are a bunch of people who disagree with us on a lot of what we've said here. I think um, there's it's an, a really ever-changing space to work in, which keeps it challenging and interesting. And I feel like um, super interested to hear people's reactions to some of the stuff that we might think are obvious and we agree on. Uh, but the reality is people have taken a lot of different routes to come to really successful solutions to accomplish open source intelligence or integrating it into their workflows. So I'm really kind of curious to hear what others think about it. I think from my end, what it really comes down to is we've got to get the conversation started, whether they agree or not, and have the conversation on what is the future of OSINT and what is the future of all this stuff. We're going to have competing ideas and competing problems. We've got to come up with solutions and whether we agree or not, someone's got to, we've got to start having these conversations, right? I think people are afraid to have the conversations because they're like, well, we've done it this way. Let's keep doing it this way. Or why, why change if it's working? Well, sometimes need change is necessary. I don't know if you all, not to kind of throw a wrench at the end of this, but have you all encountered where a lot of your customers are dealing with like open source intelligence policies being written now and like guide guidelines and framework written now? Is that something you all deal yeah. with? Because I, I find like that's really challenging. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, it was something uh, when I first started with Authenticate about three years ago. It was such a such an issue, especially back then. 
that we ended up writing a couple of policy exemplars because we saw mm-hmm. some common needs and also some common desires from customers. So uh, we actually have those available for folks if they need them. Uh, you know, you're talking about sort of establishing methodology. And the thing that was in the back of my head was, man, also policy, say policy, say policy. Is it something that a lot of, uh, especially in the uh, in the government, right? Uh, and also in the private sector too, I think to a little bit of a lesser extent, uh, policy is important. You got to have those guardrails if you're out there looking at uh, publicly available information. So that's a very good point. Yeah. And I'm, uh, it's always interesting watching a lot of either draft ones come out or even seeing finalized versions come out and people have to adapt really rapidly to the new guidelines that they've been given and how it affects the practicality of their job. I, I think that's really interesting. And I'm, and I'm hoping a lot of the policies that I've seen come out uh, are getting revised really frequently so that they keep pace with kind of this debate that we're having now, which is the fact that OSINT's changing every single day. I hope we don't have a policy release now, what, 20 years too late? And uh, and and then it just stays stagnant. I, I'm hoping that these get reviewed and they're, they're put in place just like technology is put into place to kind of enable the analysts to do their job and, and solve these problems. But um, yeah, I bet those exemplars are super helpful if somebody just really doesn't have a starting point uh, for, for how they should be guiding their research and their work. Well, thank you so much to our guest, Abby Doberton and Adam Hinkey for joining us today. Uh, if you at home liked what you heard, you can always subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch episodes on YouTube and view transcripts and other episode info on our website. And the website is authenticate.com slash needlestack. That's authentic with the number eight.com slash needlestack. And be sure to let us know what you thought of the show on Twitter. You can find us there at needlestackpod. Also, uh, we'll be back next time with more OSINT tips for your research. We'll be glad to see you then. Thank <laughs> you.